to me, the peaks and valleys are, are how I, how I like to eat and how I like to cook, which is that, you know, one bite is one way, the next bite's another way. And one bite is sweet, one bite is sour, one bite is like an explosion, the next bite is more mellow, one bite is crunchy, one bite is soft. So, you know, for me, balance is, is about more than just, you know, sweet and sour. It's, it's about sweet, sour, spicy, salty, crunchy, soft, rich. So trying to balance those out and then again, create these sort of peaks and valleys where one bite is more exciting than the next, but doesn't mean the next one is boring. It just means that it's kind of setting you up for the next one. So you kind of go up and up and down in these peaks and valleys. And that's kind of what I look for in um, my, my dining experiences as well as my cooking. Behind every amazing flavor is an amazing human who has perfected their craft. Welcome to Flavors Unknown. A behind-the-scenes look at new flavors and the chefs, pastry chefs, and bartenders who create them with your host, Emmanuel. Welcome to episode 72 of the Flavors Unknown podcast. My guest today is Chef Dan Kluger from Loring Place in Manhattan. I am your host, Emmanuel LaRoche, and if you are new to this podcast, I've been working in the food industry for more than 20 years, both in Europe and in the US, and every other week I share inspirational stories of US-renowned culinary leaders and how their cultural identity shaped their creative process. Dan Kluger worked with renowned chefs such as Danny Myers, Floyd Cardoz, Tom Colloquio, and Jean-Georges. And he became the leading force behind some of New York's top kitchen, including Jean-Georges' ABC Kitchen, where he won the James Beard Award for Best New Restaurant. Today, Chef Dan Kluger is going to talk about his different food concepts at the restaurant Loring Place that it opened in 2016, as well as the delivery concept of New York Grandma style pizza called Washington Squares that he launched during the pandemic in 2020. And his second restaurant opened in January 2021 called Penny Ridge in Long Island City. If you love cookbooks, you should definitely buy his new cookbook called Chasing Flavor, where he captured the essence of his New York City restaurant Loring Place and showing how the tastes are layered in each of his simple recipes. So welcome, Chef. I'm really excited to have you on uh, the podcast Flavors Unknown. Thank you for having me. Really happy to be here as well. Just wanted to have a, a little bit of a feeling of how you're doing, you know, with this crazy situation and, and, and even for you, the challenge of opening like a, a restaurant during the pandemic. Can you share with us your, your state of mind? Yeah, I mean, I think my state of mind is... It could certainly be a lot worse. And, you know, one of the one of the lessons that I took away from my time with uh, Floyd, who I'm sure we'll talk about later, was he always he always taught me to, to find the gold in every scenario. And, uh, you know, or some people refer to it as the silver lining. And I think, you know, I think that's a, a big part of right now is trying to find the gold every day, trying to look at that silver lining. And, you know, obviously there's some silver linings that, you know, the first three or four months, you know, worked from home for the most part. I, I felt incredibly busy, but I worked from home. And so got to see my family more than I normally would have, maybe to, to their chagrin, but it was it was good. And then, you know, I think work-wise, this has been an interesting year of trying to constantly find better ways to do things, smarter ways to do things, and just find new things to do. 
And so, you know, we certainly, we knew we'd be opening Penny Bridge, which is the second restaurant that we opened in Long Island City. But, you know, out of Loring Place, we looked at it and said, we have to find new sources of revenue. And much like many people, we we did family meals, we did meal kits, we've done tons of things. And so we're constantly, constantly evaluating that, constantly thinking of new things to do. And most recently decided to uh, launch a pizza place that's for delivery and takeout only through Loring Place. And so for as hard as the year's been and as crappy as it's been and for for all the hits that we keep on taking, especially financially, it's been somewhat rewarding. You know, I think the team is feeling beat up and exhausted and, and working harder than ever because we're working leaner and, you know, everybody's taking on a lot. But I think, you know, for the most part, I think we're feeling somewhat inspired or somewhat positive by, you know, the fact that we're still here, still ticking. Obviously, many restaurants have not survived this. Yeah. So I think that's a testament to the hard work that everybody's put in and, and to this constant creativity. And, and I think, you know, some of it is here to stay and, and some is not. Your takeout concept is the, the Washington Squares, correct? And that, which is comfort food, like pizza type of food. Yep. So we, I said this recently, you know, I've worked for a very long time at trying to make vegetables the center of the plate and make vegetables really the, the celebrated thing that we do. And for as hard as we've worked at that and creating these amazing vegetables, the pizzas and the burger have gained the most notoriety. And early on, we had started this thing called the Grandma Pizza, pizza, which is just a, a pan pizza, basically. And people seem to love it. And so when I was sitting there thinking about other things we could do, this idea came to me to, to come up with a pizza concept that essentially is just Grandma Pan Pizzas. It's done out of our production kitchen downstairs, which is really there for, it's a kitchen for production, large volume, which we're not doing as much of, and for our events, which we're not doing any of. So we had the space, we thought we would use it, doesn't have a pizza oven, just regular ovens. So basically these pan pizzas work really well in there. I've been kind of thinking about doing something and I was at home and I found these incredible OXO pans that I have. They're like OXO sheet pans, but they're non, they're like a nonstick coating and little ridges in them. And, and I put a bunch of pizza dough in there and I made a bunch of things and I was just kind of floored at how well they came out. And so that was the the start of it. And it's basically six or so pizzas. Some of the, All of them are available gluten-free as well. And then we have three salads, some meatballs, which are far from the normal re- meatball, and then the cookies and a sundae. And that's, that's essentially it. So really simple, small menu, somewhat inspired by Jim Leahy's uh, Co-Pizza, which is one of my favorite pizza places. You know, it's unfortunately closed, but I just, I've always loved Jim's pizzas, but I also love this concept of sort of the modern day pizzeria. Yeah. And it's resonated a lot with, you know, the need for comfort food, you know, during the time of COVID from, from consumers. So I get that. The, the other one, I mean, opening, uh, you know, the, the other place in the Long Island city, Penny Ridge, is is really like a, a real challenge during that you know the the situation you know of the pandemic. So why why did you decide to you know to do it you know now? You know the the project was it had fallen very far behind. We started construction literally the probably the day they closed construction the city, and then we restarted as soon as they opened us back up. So the construction team did a, did a great job of getting it done, given the restrictions and. It sort of just felt like, you know, I had the chef on board and the sous chef on board and I had some people at Loring Place that we were looking to move and 
kind of just felt like, all right, you know, we're, we're done. The place is sitting empty. I should do something with it. So we opened for takeout and delivery only five days a week. And truthfully, you know, I think everything about it's great. The restaurant came out great. The food is great. It will be amazing at some point, but, uh, and the neighborhood will be amazing at some point, but right now it's, it's still quiet. It's freezing out, you know, yeah, people are eating outside, but it didn't really make sense. And so even the takeout wasn't doing that well. So we actually ended up pressing pause on that and we'll reopen everything indoors, outdoors, takeout, delivery in the spring. Okay. Got it. I mean, it's, it's coming. So it's coming. Yeah. yeah. Especially yeah. with the way the weather is today. Last year, you uh, published your first uh, cookbook. In fact, I, I, I took it with me here on my, my trip, so, <laughs> and which is uh, wonderful and, you know, called Chasing Flavor. And I, I'm, I was just curious, what's the, the, the reason or the story behind the title? <laughs> I mean, I think it depends on what version you want, right? The, the story behind it, it took a long time to get there. We, like the genuine story, not not yeah. the one for for the marketing, you know. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I think you know, it's it's all the same in the sense that I think my food has always been thought of as being very flavorful, flavor forward, and kind of exciting, and and so felt like flavor was a big part of the name in some way, but kind of struggling on a on a way to present it. And the book was. For me, the book was supposed to be a lot about teaching lessons and teaching to cook. And one of my all-time favorite books is Tom Colicchio's Think Like a Chef. And the way in which it's kind of it creates a lesson on how to roast a potato, uh, a tomato, how to roast a vegetable, how to roast a piece of fish. And then the next one is on how to braise a piece of fish, how to braise a vegetable. And then towards the end, he's saying, okay, this is how you put these things together. Yeah. And so I, I always thought like I wanted my book to take somewhat of approach to that, to be more educational than just a, a list of recipes. And as we were kind of thinking about this, we did a sort of brainstorming session about names and flavor kept coming up and a whole bunch of other words kept coming up. But somehow or another, we came up with chasing flavor. And it, it at first felt like oh, it's it's like too kitschy. And then I realized, you know, the whole point is I want people to cook flavorfully. I want them to want to take something as simple as broccoli and make it the most flavorful thing on the table. And so the reality is, you know, I'm, I'm always chasing some kind of flavor. I'm always yeah, chasing exactly. that mindset. And I want everybody else to do the same. I just wanted to say that it seems to be that it was like, you know, your quest like over your entire career is like to chase that flavor is to create and find this you know, balance as well between, you know, between flavors. And it, it's really interesting to, to hear you talking about having this like tasting experience for the consumers, like to have that procreation when they are tasting, you know, they put like, you know, have a bite of, of the food that you are creating and having those effects of like the peak and the valley. I mean, that's something that you are using in an expression that I heard you said several times. So yeah. can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah, I think, you know, to me, the peaks and valleys are, are how I how I like to eat and how I like to cook, which is that, you know, one bite is one way, the next bite's another way. And one bite is sweet, one bite is sour, one bite is like an explosion, the next bite is more mellow, one bite is crunchy, one bite is soft. So, you know, for me, balance is, is about more than just, you know, sweet and sour. It's, it's about sweet, sour, spicy, salty, crunchy, soft, rich. So trying to balance those out and then again, create these sort of peaks and valleys where, one bite is more exciting than the next, but doesn't mean the next one is boring. 
it just means that it's kind of setting you up for the next one. So you kind of go up and up and down in these peaks and valleys. And that's kind of what I look for in um, my, my dining experiences as well as my cooking. How do you convey that to uh, like the home cook, you know, in, in your book? And what will be the advice that you would give, you know, anyone cooking uh, professionally or as a hobby, you know, to to achieve that balance and those peaks and valleys that you are talking about? Everything is going to have incredible peaks and valleys. You know, a bowl of mashed potatoes is going to be a bowl of mashed potatoes. It's, it's about how do you make them the best you possibly can be and how do you balance some of these things out? And that may... You don't necessarily need sweet and sour with the potatoes, but you need to think about, you know, how, how do I elevate them a little bit? In terms of the, the book and, and how we get this message across, you know, a lot of it is in the recipes themselves, right? So if you take something like the broccoli that I just mentioned, we talk about how you can build flavor through charring or roasting and what that does. So it takes something as, as mundane as, you know, boiled broccoli and all of a sudden t- turns into this thing that's smoky and slightly bitter and crunchy and has these little char notes to it so you're starting to build flavor there and then by adding you know this this mayo or adding the the pistachio vinaigrette which has lots of herbs and has lemon and has some heat in it and has pistachios in it you're you're building this flavor you're building this balance just automatically and then the idea is that through the book, there's areas where we pull things out and they're called the takeaway. And that could be about charring a vegetable or roasting something, or it could be about making this, this vinaigrette or this dressing that's kind of a setup for multiple things down the road. You know, I, I like this idea of component cooking, meaning that you're, you're learning about how to make some really specific components that, you know, it's again, it's a mayonnaise, it's a dressing, it's a hot sauce, it's a, a fermented chili, it's, it's, dressings, vinaigrettes, and, and how we build these. And then just because just because you can't get broccoli today doesn't mean you can't use this pistachio vinaigrette. But the pistachio vinaigrette is amazing. It could work with a piece of fish. It could work as part of a chicken. It could work as, as just salad dressing for a beautiful butterhead lettuce. So again, these, these components become these core elements that you can use in other ways. And the idea is that through the, through the book, you start to feel more confident as a cook. Because you start to master some of these components and realize that, again, this dressing could be used in 10 different ways. The, the granola that we feature in the acorn, the roasted acorn, the granola is amazing on everything from the acorn to butternut to some roasted potatoes to, I mean, I've had friends who put it on apple pie and have put it on yogurt in the morning. I mean, yeah, yeah. All sorts of different things. So uh, that's, to me, that's component cooking. That's, that's what you get from this book. And that's really what I, I, I like in, you know that in book I have a lot of cookbooks at home that you know I'm sure you do as well. And um, it, you know what I found like really unique was that section that you call like building blocks of flavor because for me it was this idea of I mean you're talking about component cooking which are like several benefits of it. It's the first one, of course, it helps you to expedite you know the cooking process. When you are, you know, hosting, you know, people at home, or I'm sure like, you know, when you are doing like professional cooking in your restaurant, you know, as well. Second of all, it's, it's, it's really this idea of focusing on an element of a dish and almost like making sure that maybe as a home cook, you are going to think about that element as a secondary task, or, you know, it's not the main component of your dish. Like people think about the protein, people think about like the veg, you know, but then there's some other 
you know, elements that are much more important when it comes to bringing flavor. So I think when you look at those building block of flavor section, you have those things and you treat them individually and you give the attention, you know, to them separately. And then the, uh, the other piece is the versatility of it, as you just, you know, explained that you yeah. can take something and you can apply it to a lot of different recipes and you have them like ready in your pantry and in your fridge and, and you can, you know, apply it depending of like the recipe that you are making. Yeah, that's another word we talk a lot about is is pantry, right? We're trying to build this pantry. You know, again, I use the example of the granola. I have a friend who, as soon as I gave him the book, he started texting me all the things he's making. And he wrote, he's like, the he sent me the acorn squash. He's like, God, it's so amazing. But making this granola is like a full day's project between <laughs> shopping yeah. and prepping. But the, the the thing that he took away from it was, again, that yeah, it was a little bit of work to do it. Certainly not a day, you know, you, you got to get used to these things. But once once he'd made it, he realized, wow, I can use this in 10 different things. And so because that element in itself is a building block, it has crunch, it has sweet, it has spice, right? He realized that by sprinkling it over a salad, he's elevated that sort of plain salad just through this one component. So again, things that, you know, we try and get across through the book. Yeah, and what I like as well in uh, in uh, the you know the first part of your book before the recipes, uh, talking about the pantry on your tools. It's I thought it was really cool that you you share you know brands you know and names of of, of products that usually you don't see that too often you know in a in a cookbook. So that really helps, especially I guess like the the foodies or like the you know the you know in the kitchen to to understand exactly and then maybe to to select uh, you know the right product. Yeah. And I get asked a lot about things like, you know, what oil do I use or, or, you know, whatever it is. And, and so, you know, why not call it out? And we're not in general, I don't use a lot of things that are hard to get uh, and hard to find. And we certainly find in the restaurant, these ingredients that are, you know, really specific to restaurants, but in general, especially for home cooking and for this book, everything was things that, you know, you could find at a, at a great local supermarket, whether it's something like a whole foods or, or a mom and pop. I mean, we're, we don't go crazy with what we're requiring. So in the, in the book, there's a section about techniques. And I'm, I'm curious, I, we always have that uh, in almost like a, a never-ending debate, you know, when we are talking with chefs is about like techniques versus creativity. So what, what is the, for, from your point of view, the most, the most important for you? I don't know. I, may, maybe, maybe creativity, but I sort of feel like you can have one without the other for sure. But I sort of feel like you you need to have them both, right? You could be incredibly creative, but if you have no technique, you're, you know, you're never going to be able to follow through with it. So you could come up with this amazing idea, but if you don't know how to facilitate it, what's the point? So I think, you know, creativity is incredibly important, but technique and and, and understanding of very basic techniques is really important to to any cooking, whether it's at a home level or, or restaurant level. And I find it really interesting Today and I, I remember you know, spending time at at Craft with um, Tom Colicchio and seeing how the stations in his restaurant were set up. You know that you had the station that was, you know, mushrooms and potatoes. I think and all they did was cook mushrooms and potatoes. Another one that was like carrots and and grains or I don't I don't really remember. But you know you learned how to roast a mushroom. You learned how to roast a carrot. And now, so often, you know, a cook comes in and you tell them to roast carrots and you tell them, 
your way to roast carrots. And the mind says, hey, hey, I got this. I, I went to culinary school. I know what I'm doing. And they come back with, you know, this burnt tray of carrots or undercooked tray of carrots. And many times people don't appreciate the simplicity of technique and the simplicity or, or the, the output of technique, right? So simple technique can have an incredible impact on that dish by just roasting a carrot properly versus not roasting it properly, roasting a mushroom properly, not roasting properly. And so again, you know, I don't go too in depth with, you know, forcing this technique, but we try and teach some of these methods and teach ways in which you can, can achieve these things through roasting, grilling, charring, braising, and what you're looking for. So now that uh, you know the the book is published and I'm sure it's the, the, you know sales are going well because there's a lot of people that are you know cooking at home so I think that your, your book is is you know great for for them what was like the the part of the, the the process of the writing the cookbook that you enjoy the most I think you know I worked with an incredible writer who really was able to talked about what I wanted the book to be and, and the lessons that I wanted to get across, but I would have never been able to write this. And, and he was always able to sit and pull these things out of me and ask the whys that, you know, to me just kind of was common sense. Or it's like when my wife is in the kitchen and she asked me something and I'm like, yeah, just boil it. And I don't realize how few people understand what some of these things mean. And so he was able to extract a lot of that from me. And, and it taught me even a lot about my own cooking and made me questions of my own cooking. So I think that was probably the most interesting part of the whole process. Okay. And so do you have a word of wisdom for anyone, you know, who is listening, you know, chefs that are always listening, that maybe are caressing the idea of publishing a, a book? What's, what would be your, your advice to them? It's a lot of work. <laughs> Don't do it. <laughs> No, I think, you know, I think it's an incredibly important thing to do and, and a wonderful thing to do, but it, it is a lot of work and you have to be able to set aside the time. And, you know, I think unless you are a writer, you probably need to find somebody to write it with. And so finding that right person, it's, it's just like a relationship, like there, there's give and take and they're, they're going to question things. And so finding the right person, I think is incredibly important as well. I think it's, you know, it's a fun process, but it is undoubtedly a lot of work. How many years did it take you to, to work on it? I mean, I think officially probably two years, but have been working it, working on it and thinking about it for, for quite a long time. Yeah. Okay. So let's switch a little bit, you know, the focus here. And you've been talking about some individuals, you know, from the, the beginning, Chef, you know, Flo Floyd, Cardos, and of course, you talk about as well, some colloquial. So you had, and I'm sure you have more than this, but there's at least like four names that, you know, that comes to mind when you look back at your, at your career. So obviously, the kind of a lucky first, I would say, encounter with Danny Mayer. And then obviously Chef Floyd Cardos, then Tom Colloquio and, and John George von Richten. What can you tell us about the experience working with those individuals and what you have learned, you know, from each of them? I mean, each one had different impacts on my career and I obviously learned different things at different times. I think uh, Danny Meyer, I got fortunate enough to meet and ended up doing my summer internship at Union Square Cafe and then went back and spent some more time there after I graduated and 
He had a managing partner, Paul Bowles Bevan, who I think between the two of them, and especially really because of Paul, I learned so much about hospitality and I learned about front of the house and I start. I started in the front of the house. I wasn't in the kitchen, and so I learned a lot about what, to me, was hospitality and and what was important in terms of that experience. And then I trans uh, transferred into the kitchen, and I think I, I learned a fair amount about cooking and and cooking under pressure at Unisquirt Cafe through Michael Romano and and his team. But it, it wasn't until I went to work with Floyd Cardoz at at Tabla where I think I really started to learn about flavor. I really started to learn about balance. Obviously, about Indian food, it was Indian inspired, and then I became, you know, I got the opportunity to become sous chef and, and onwards up to chef cuisine. And so, I think it was through that experience that I really started to think that this was something for me. And you know, in terms of what I learned from Floyd, I think that the lessons are countless, and I think he had more of an impact on my career than probably anybody. But you know, everything from again food stuff to just how to be a good person and how to be a good manager and what what was essentially the right thing to do and slowly learning how to how to balance doing the right thing with just getting the job done and, and those sorts of things. And then I went off and I worked with Tom Glickio on a project where we opened a private club in Midtown. And I think through him, I was able to learn a lot more about uh, American food and American ingredients. At that time, he was using things, you know, much like everybody else, but he, he was really focused on where things were coming from. And I mean, Floyd certainly was as well. But, you know, I think being with Tom, it kind of just opened my eyes to a different category of food. What do you mean by that? One, a different category? You know, of food? I, because, you know, at, at Tablo, we were very fortunate enough to get great products and certainly farmer driven food. And we had an incredible relationship with the farmers. But I think when I went to work with Tom, there was certain experience with certain certain experiences whether it was something like finding benton's bacon or some other things like that or working with rabbit that i hadn't worked with in a long time or really just the focus on again as i said you know roasting a carrot and making that carrot taste as good as it possibly could whereas with floyd there was a lot of technique on roasting a carrot properly but it was also dusted with five spices and so it just had a different impact right on, on my career but i think especially with tom i learned a lot about him giving me i learned it indirectly with him giving me the opportunity to be a chef and putting that weight on my shoulders of of building a team and opening a restaurant so i think indirectly i learned a lot from him in terms of that and then working with jean george you know i i started with him doing the mark hotel project and while we were waiting for that to open i got the experience to travel around and open Restaurants as part of his team, Utah, Arizona, D.C., I don't know, I think I did about five or six openings with him. And so uh, that gave me an incredible amount of experience with openings and, and that, that you know stress that comes with that. And then when ABC happened, he helped me hone in on, again, simplicity um, of ingredients. We were using the same ingredients I had been. You know, One of the reasons why that project, I think, was so right for me was because I had I had a really good knowledge of the farmers market and all the local farmers, and we were committed to you know nothing, with the exception of like olive oil, lemon, limes, and ginger. We were committed to pretty much nothing from further than 150 miles, and so my connections with these farmers um, made it somewhat easy for me. But I learned a lot about kind of honing, fine tuning that flavor, and and looking at ingredients in a different light. But I think most of all from him, I learned a lot about 
business and, and being a restaurateur. And I watched him, you know, open my time with him. I think he probably opened 10, 12 restaurants. So being, you know, being just a fly on the wall for that process, I think really was helpful. And I had been, you know, obviously itching to do my own, not obviously I'd been itching for a long time to do my own thing. And, and again, watching him open these restaurants and see him, you know, pick out the china and pick out the glassware and pick out the linens and things like that was was what I wanted to be involved in and what I really longed for in creating something. And so again, being a fly on the wall and seeing him do that, I think just um, kind of pushed me into that. To open your um, place in 14. Okay. Yeah. Going back to uh, your relationship professionally with the purveyors and, and the farmers, I get there is always that critical element of relationship to get like new things and the excitement about like high quality product. How do you manage those relationships when it comes to costs? Because that's a very important element, you know, of managing a restaurant. And, and I'm guessing that there is this weekly interaction with the purveyors and the farmers when it comes to new product. But you probably have to have, I don't know if it's monthly or quarterly, maybe more, I would say, business meeting with those individuals as well. Yeah, I mean, I would say we have less of a meeting with the purveyors as much as meeting within you know, our, our own team and talking about costs. And what will then happen is a purveyor will come and say, oh, I have this amazing duck. Sounds, sounds wonderful. Would, would love to check it out. How much is it? And that, that first question is really kind of one of the most important ones today. You know, I think, again, the, the sort of silver lining of this pandemic, I think if people have paid attention, is that there's been a lot of discussion over just how poor a business running restaurants actually is and how low the profit margins are. And so I think, you know, it's starting to drive this discussion a little more. And it just means we have to be that much smarter with what we take on. And so we may still look at that expensive duck, but we only may take six of them a week and run it as a special rather than putting it on the menu for $45 a portion and you're not going to buy it. And then it just sits there. Whereas if we run a special and we have six of them and when we're out, we're out. I think in terms of cost, we're more price, price sensitive today than ever. You know, I think a lot of restaurants are probably They've probably toned down their service a little bit. They they maybe are not running with, uh, you know, tablecloths like they used to. Who knows? Or, lengthy, or lengthy menu with a lot of items, you exactly. know, too. So, yeah. they've, they've trimmed it down a little bit because yeah. cost is so much more apparent. Okay. So let's talk about creativity. And I'm just curious about what, what are your sources of inspiration? And how do you approach like, you know, like the creative aspect in your, in your job? The, the inspiration varies a lot. It could be driven by a need, meaning it's spring out. We know we need to change the menu. It could be driven by boredom, tired of looking at a dish, or it could literally be, you know, sort of this, this like being struck by lightning. And I have, I have a dish that I'm starting to work on this week. I have no idea what made me think of it. I have no idea if it will work or you know where we'll get to with it, but I just was literally woke up one morning and was like, I, I want to do something new with carrots today. And that was the, the the process. But I think the inspiration also comes a lot from the the farmer's market. Again, going back to seasonality, walking through the farmer's market and 
picking up something or tasting a strawberry, whatever it is. And then I think oddly, you know, it, it can come from, you know, without sounding too like cliche, but it can come from art and colors and pictures, meaning I might see a picture on the cover of Bon Appetit of a roasted chicken. And that doesn't mean I'm gonna make a roasted chicken, but that roasted chicken had carrots and onions and turnips in it, right? And and it had a ton of herb drizzled on top. And I looked at this picture and I saw like the dark and the rich and the green. And then I just start thinking about dishes and something in the back of my mind keeps thinking like, oh, carrots and herbs, carrots and herbs. Let's do some carrots and herbs. Again, nothing to a chicken, not not copying the dish in any way, sure. but. Sure. Something there just made me start thinking about food in a, in, in a mm-hmm. specific way. And do you have any ingredients lately that are you are particularly like excited about these days or like obsessed? I know I, it usually goes by waves, so I'm just curious if um, this is a kid. Mm-hmm. No, nothing that I'm really obsessed about. I I've always wanted to use a bunch of spices from Burlap and Barrel, and they did a whole spice mix with Floyd Cardozo's wife, you know, when Floyd passed away a year ago, this coming Thursday, actually. And she she carried on the, the legacy and started some spice pastes and so, or spice mixes. And I recently got some and have been kind of using them here and there. And I'm thinking without going too far into my, my roots of the Indian food, using some of them because I miss, I miss that flavor. And certainly it forces me to think of him at a time that I need to. Of course. And if there is any specific, uh, I would say, usual like combinations that um, you have, um, you know, explored when it comes to maybe using things that are maybe pretend to the world of of savory and apply it into sweets or like in the reverse? Not really. I think I think at one point I I certainly tried to explore more of that. And I think as I get older, (laughs) I tend to find myself just yearning for the the simple you know i'm less inclined to have butternut ice cream as i would have been five ten years ago now it's it's more i'm just happy to to have a great bowl of vanilla ice cream sure or let the let's say the product shine on its own and then using some of like the wonderful techniques that you have learned just to make the dish like like being perceived simple even if it's not the case correct okay Okay, so I would like to pick up your your brain. I'm always asking the guests on my show to share a recipe guidance, you know, for to the home cook. And they can create, you know, at home and it will be Dan Kluger style. So because it's the spring and then you have a lot of salads as well in your in your cookbook, I thought that's maybe a salad could be interesting. So what would be your suggestion for someone like me to make, you know, interesting salad with a twist? I mean, I think I would certainly go for from the book i would go for the sugar snap pea salad i can't wait for some sugar snaps i know they're around the corner and it's a pretty simple salad it it does have some salad greens but it's really more about the sugar snaps and some some radishes that are providing crunch and bitterness the sugar snaps we we char so uh, they're lightly charred so you know they're, they're still a little crunchy but they have these these bits of smokiness and, and bitterness and char to them. And then we kind of round the whole thing out, balance it out with this 
dressing that's like a manchego vinaigrette, almost like a, a classic, you know, creamy Parmesan, black pepper yeah. vinaigrette that you would have had. I like that. that. So you're using the like the cheese as well, you know, that yeah. you are talking about the techniques, you know, to green the creaminess to to the dressings. Exactly. It just makes it really rich and creamy and it's a it's a different way of using the cheese essentially. Mm-hmm. Very cool. So before we finish, I would like to, you know, go through uh, a series of rapid fire questions, if it's okay with you. Okay. <laughs> if you have the energy for it, <laughs> you made it some I'll coffee. <laughs> I'll try. So what would you have been if you did not come become a chef? I don't know, but I think as I'm, as I get older, I think I probably would have ended up doing something else with my hands, like woodworking or carpentry or, or building. Okay. So you and I are going in a tasting tour in, you know, a part of Manhattan. What are like the five spots that you will take me to? And and of course, beside your place, you know, outside of your place. I think we'd probably go start all the way downtown and have some, some dim sum. And then uh, from there, maybe go up and have uh, some sushi at Shuko. Uh-huh. And... Maybe head over to somewhere like Rosemary's or, or Quality Eats, have some salads, some veggies. What's next? Um, <laughs> I can I can never think of where I want to eat when, when I have to. I'd love to, you know what, I'd, I'd say maybe we finish off with um, some pastas at Resdora. Okay. Um, or head over to, to Lilia and have some pasta over there. Okay. Sounds good. Yeah. Um, okay, I'm good. Sorry to make you think a little bit some more, but what are like the three cookbooks that inspire you the most in your career? Think Like a Chef for sure. Yep. Charlie Trotter's first book. I think it was just Charlie Trotter's. And what else? Mario Batali's Simple Italian Food. One one other one is Jean George's Simple Cuisine. Those ones, I, I, I was probably, you know, facing them all day long every day as a young cook. What is your favorite guilty pleasure food? Sour candy or chocolate, <laughs> like M&M's. Okay. <laughs> they, are, they are brutal. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> what's Not your good big- for my diet. <laughs> no, mine either. <laughs> well, what's the big, your biggest, uh, biggest pet, pet peeves in the kitchen? Cleanliness. Uh-huh. And um, noise. Just overall noise. Oh, I, okay. I, I feel like I've like developed some kind of noise allergy. Like I, I can't stand the banging of the pots. I, I can't stand shouting back and forth. Oh, and sometimes uh, there might be a lot in the kitchen. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like it a little calmer these days. Okay. And as gets more, old. And, and I'm guessing like no music background, correct? Rarely. We, Rarely. Now, now we, we kind of have loosened up a little bit and have some music playing once in a while, but in okay. general, it's, it's too much. Yeah. Okay. And my last question is obviously connected to, you know, flavors and pantry. And I'm curious, beside like the classics, I'm, when I say classics, think about like ketchup, mustards, you know, and mayo and so on. What condiments, spices, sauces, or dressing do you have at hand in your home, in your closet, or in your... Mustard, miso, maple syrup. Those are three M's. Lots of vinegars. Everything from you know white wine and, and champagne to red wine, apple cider. You know, some of those are, are specialty vinegars too. And good olive oil, soy sauce, and some kind of chili oil, chili paste. Okay. 
Very good, Chef. Thank you so much for being a guest. And I appreciate the time that uh, you have shared with us. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you for listening today. I hope you enjoyed this episode with Chef Dan Kluger. If you did, please share it with a friend or a colleague. Please make sure to subscribe or follow the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or any other platform where you listen to podcasts. Find the show notes of all episodes at flavorsunknown.com. My next episode will be a panel discussion with three guests, Peter Ferriero, the film director of Her Name is Chef, and he will be there with two of the chefs feature on his documentary, Chef Elizabeth Faulkner and Chef Juliet Masters. I see you in two weeks, and until then, remember that people who love to eat are always the best people. You've just enjoyed another delicious episode of Flavors Unknown. Hungry for more? Hit subscribe. Tell us where you're listening from by leaving a review. And for social media and show notes, head to flavorsunknown.com.